So uh, this, well, I want to start with that. It's going to be a hypothetical question, obviously, um, because no one here is having guests or visitors over at their house except the youth pastor and his family. You, you have the Bible study on Wednesday nights. And, um, but uh, hypothetically, when you're going to have people come over to your house, what sort of things do you do to prepare for their arrival? Clean. Yay. That's the best thing to do. Food? Yeah. That's always important. I mean, it's just, that seems to attract people. So what are we going to eat? You know, and you tell them and, and all that. And yeah, food. Food's good. Cleaning, food, anything else? You mow? That's your job. I can tell by your enthusiasm for the job. <laughs> Get things in order and things prepared. You know, we want to put our, our best face forward when we have guests coming over. And um, so we shove things under beds and in closets, right? And um, make sure that the bathroom that we're pretty positive they're going to use is the best looking bathroom in the entire house and all that. Uh, what about, let's amp the question a little bit. What sort of things do we do in our life to prepare for God coming? For God to reveal something in our life, for God to move. What sort of things do we do to prepare for that? Do we pray? Find a quiet space? Be intentional. Not as much as we should. That's probably true. Read His Word. No one's going to say fast, so you can do that too. But <laughs> well, This morning we're talking about when God comes. And uh, we're obviously on our series, you know, Tell Me a Story of Jesus. We're on our eighth week, and I'm excited because we're finally in a portion of Scripture where Jesus is physically going to come into Scripture. So far we've been building up the premise of, of the background and who Jesus was and as we've looked in some of the other Gospels. And we're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew this morning if you want to make your way there. Matthew is the very first book of the New Testament. We'll be in chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, uh, be our, our passage of focus. And we're probably more familiar with this passage in December because we, we tend to put this passage in with the Christmas story. But in reality, as we're going to see this morning, this passage is not so much about the birth of Christ, even though that's probably what many of our Bibles have as the subtitle. This passage is more about the two individuals who were commissioned by God to be the parents to his son on this earth. The focus is really upon Joseph and Mary and their relationship, um, but it's going to kick off, as I mentioned before, our focus uh, in June is going to be around what we consider the Christmas story and the events surrounding Christmas. And so... Um, there are 201 days until Christmas, if you want to know, that you can check that, you can Google and search, 201 days till Christmas, and so we're going to jump on the season, and uh, if you need a little help, I'm sure you can go to Hobby Lobby, I'm not telling you to, but I'm sure you can go to Hobby Lobby, and they typically have their Christmas ornaments out by now, if you just need to get into the festive mood. But the Gospel of Matthew is written by the Apostle Matthew, who is also known as Levi, and so there's some irony, and we see the sense of humor of God in commissioning Matthew to write this particular gospel to the original audience of this gospel. Does anybody know what Matthew's occupation was before he met Jesus? 
was a tax collector. And not just a tax collector, but Matthew was a Jewish tax collector collecting taxes for who? For Rome. And so in, in Matthew's day, his society, the Jewish people, would have seen Matthew as the biggest traitor to all of the Jewish people because he was collecting taxes to feed the pagan Roman Empire. And yet we see God's sense of humor and God's irony that he calls Matthew, the former tax collector, to be the individual who's going to be commissioned to write the gospel account of Jesus Christ to the Jewish people. The Gospel of Matthew's original audience were the Jewish people. So as you read through the Gospel of Matthew, you're going to find a lot of times where he says, and the prophecies were fulfilled. In the Gospel of Matthew, there are more prophecies pointed to as being fulfilled by Jesus Christ because Matthew wants his audience, the Jewish people, to understand this is why Jesus is the Messiah. This is how he fulfilled what God said would happen. The opening of Matthew begins with the genealogy, which Matthew is pointing out to this truth. Jesus came from the line of Abraham. He was the family of the Jews. He comes from as a descendant of David. He's from the tribe of Judah, fulfilling the Davidic covenant. And so as he begins unfolding this story in verse 18, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. The title Christ means Messiah. So right off the bat, Matthew is saying Jesus is the anointed one of God. He is the Messiah to which the Jewish people, again, his original audience, were waiting to come and to rescue them. And so God was going to take on flesh and blood and dwell amongst his people. And each gospel points out this truth in its own unique way. Matthew does it through covenants and the fulfilling of prophecies. Gospel of Mark jumps right into this, saying the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As we've seen in the last couple of weeks in the gospel of Luke, Luke gives the background to how Jesus is the Messiah, but he's not just the Messiah for the Jewish people, but he's the Messiah and Savior for the entire world. He came to serve us all through his life, death, and, resurrec and resurrection. John takes on a more philosophical approach in pointing to Jesus' equality or his deity with God. And when we say this morning, when God comes, I want us to understand that God doesn't leave us. He promises us in his word that he will never leave us or forsake us. God is always with us. And we as God's people should rest in that promise. But let's be honest, there are times in our life where we want God to reveal himself, to come in a way specifically for what is going on that is more profound than we are experiencing at that current moment in time. At least I hope we pray, God, please reveal yourself. God, please show me what to do. God, please lead me. God, please speak to me. This is what we pray for. We are praying for revelation. The term revelation speaks of God revealing something to which we have not been able to see. And when God comes in our life, which he does throughout our life, and I hope you've experienced this, we are asking God to reveal himself. In Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, God is revealing his plan of salvation found in the birth of his son, Jesus Christ. And his mission is to save his people from their sins in verse 21. Let's read the passage. We're going to walk through it, and we're just going to see how God comes and the implications it goes into our life. Beginning in verse 18, the word of the Lord says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed, that word betrothed means engaged to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, 
resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not, until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. The birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. There is a woman named Mary who is engaged to Joseph. Now, many of us are very familiar with this story. We're very familiar with this passage. It's one of those stories that we kind of uh, go at every single year, particularly around December. But the problem with being so familiar with some stories is we can allow the context of the story to be erased. And we can miss what is actually being said here in God's Word and the impact it can have in our life. Don't get me wrong. We should be familiar with the Word of God. But sometimes we become so familiar, we almost become dumb to what is actually being said. And so the story takes place that there is a man and a woman who are engaged. And in a Jewish society, engagement, I know we've hit on this before, but just a reminder, an engagement was a lot different than an engagement today. When a couple was engaged, there was an agreement between two fathers, the father of the the husband-to-be and the father of the bride-to-be. And when that agreement was made, there would be a dowry or a payment made to the husband-to-be for taking the woman Uh, as his wife. There would be a ceremony, there would be a celebration, but the the wedding gift was actually given to the husband, not to the wife. The focus in this society is the husband, not the wife. Men, do we want that again? No amen. The Jewish engagement, though, would last for about a year. And during this time, even though the couple was not legally husband and wife, By the views of society, they were termed husband and wife together. And so the only way to break an engagement in this time was through the act of a divorce. And so we don't view engagements in that way, but this was the culture to which Jesus was going to be born. And this creates the conflict for Joseph as he has found out that his bride-to-be was found to be with child. Now just try to put yourself in Joseph's shoes or his sandals for a moment. The Bible says he was a just man there in verse verse 19. The word just man is a phrase meaning that Joseph was a righteous man. He was a man that was faithful to the law of God. Joseph was most likely in his 20s. Mary is most likely a young teenager. Because when a woman was able to have uh, have children, they were deemed fit to be married. And so there would be arrangements beginning to set place. There would be a, a wedding that would be put on a calendar. And this was done for several reasons. One is because people didn't live as long. You have to think about medical conditions. But also, also, as soon as a woman was able to have a child, they would marry her because they wanted her to have as many children as possible because that was viewed as a blessing from God. It is believed by the time Jesus starts his ministry, which is somewhere about the age of 30 to 33, Joseph had already died in Scripture because he's never, he never appears physically in Scripture, but is only mentioned by name. This would make sense for when Jesus is on the cross and he tells the Apostle John, John, here is your mother, and mother, here is your son, telling Mary that he does not want his mother to be left as a widow who is alone in this world, but he's given this adoption process. We come back to this passage with Joseph. 
Though Joseph is only engaged to Mary, it's already recognized in society that Mary is belonging to Joseph as his wife. Matthew points this out in verse 19. But now that Mary has been found to be pregnant, and Joseph knows he isn't the father, he has a lot to consider. So imagine again, you're Joseph. You find out the one you want to spend the rest of your life with, have children with, begin a family with, has now become pregnant, and you know the baby doesn't belong to you. You've done everything right in your life leading to this moment. Would you be mad? Joseph was human after all. I imagine he was angry. Angry at Mary for being unfaithful, even though he had been faithful. Angry at God for even allowing this engagement to begin. So Joseph had to consider his options. That's what it means when verse 20, but as he considered these things. See, according to the law, Joseph had a right to bring Mary before the Jewish council to end the engagement, to, to divorce her. This would seal Mary's fate as a woman who would probably never be married again and would be left alone and be sealed as an adulteress. If he allowed Mary to live, then before this council, he would also have the option to uh, send her to stoning as an adulteress. And what they would do is they would allow Mary to bring the child into this world, and then they would take the child from her and stone her to death. And Joseph, he wouldn't take the child as his own. And so what we would have is we would have an orphan baby Jesus Christ. Now, God could still use Jesus and would have used Jesus as Messiah if this would have taken place. But get this, God saw it fit that his son on this earth would have a mother and a father in his life. They would work together in raising him up. Another option Joseph had to consider, if he were to give Mary a certificate of divorce, according to the law and the customs, Joseph would still be paid the bridal payment for Mary, and then he would be paid above that because she was unfaithful to him. This would have led Mary, if Joseph allowed her to live, to be a poverty-born single mother in a society that would look down on her the rest of her life. So Joseph has a lot to consider. If he decides... I'm going to marry Mary. I'm going to go through with this marriage. Then Joseph himself, because they were not legally married in the Jewish life, would be considered an adulterer. And he would be liable to the judgment of stoning himself. The society, if they allowed him to live, would look at him not as a righteous man, not as a just man, but as an unrighteous, sinful man. Joseph marries Mary. We know this because of the story but he does it because an angel visits him and tells Joseph what is actually taking place. This is significant in the story we know as Christmas because in Joseph taking Mary and this unborn child as his own, he is going to be cast out of his own society, out of his own family, because the world is going to look at this ordeal and by all appearances, they're going to see a family of shame. And now this makes sense when we turn to Luke next week and we we're told that Joseph has to go back to Bethlehem to his own town. And in Luke's telling of the birth of Christ, Joseph and Mary don't get to stay with family. They don't get to stay with friends. They have to stay in a manger because Joseph, in taking Mary as his own, accepts Mary's condition of life and being born in poverty and being outcast of their own society. 
Yet Matthew points out Joseph's righteousness is tied to his being unwilling to put her to shame in verse 19. That means to put her to public disgrace. And then he's going to divorce her quietly. And as Joseph is pondering his courses of actions, he has all these options going on. We can know that God steps in. He brings an angel to clear the air. He speaks his word to Joseph. He tells Joseph that he is coming, and he is inviting Joseph to be a part of his story and to play a pivotal role to be the earthly father figure to his son, Jesus Christ. Matthew points out the announcement of the angel was to fulfill what the prophet said in Isaiah. Isaiah 7, 14, verse 23 is taken from that, that passage. The context of Isaiah 7, 14 is Isaiah speaking to King Ahaz, who is living in a world where he's seen all the kings around him being taken into captivity and some of them being put to death. Originally, this passage, verse 23, by the Jewish people is not considered a messianic prophecy. Yet Matthew, being led by the, Jew, by the Holy Spirit and be a Jew himself, understood that Emmanuel mentioned something greater than what Isaiah was speaking to King Ahaz. It was the ultimate presence of God and the triumph for Judah and the Davidic Messiah would be born in Israel. Now Joseph believes the message of the angel, even though it was in a dream. Joseph believes what God is speaking to him is truth. And before we get into how we apply this story to our life, there's one other issue we have to work out. In Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 1 through 17, Matthew is led by the Spirit to trace Jesus' family tree through Abraham and to David. It's important because for Jesus to be the Messiah, he had to come from the tribe of Judah, and he had to be of the line of David. He had to fulfill the Davidic covenant. But the problem we have is that Mary and Joseph have no sexual relationship with one another. And this is important for Matthew to point out because he points that it's from the Holy Spirit. Joseph is only going to be the biological father of Jesus. But the issue it creates is for Jesus to be the Messiah, he has to be from the line of David and the tribe of Judah. But Mary, she's a Levite. We know Mary's a Levite because her relative Elizabeth was a Levite. Yet she is the only human component that brings Jesus into this world. And so since Mary is a Levite and the only human component, how is Jesus Christ from the line of David? How is he from the tribe of Judah? Matthew deals with this, but we can miss it. And I imagine we've missed it every time we've read it. At the end of verse 25, he says, And he, who's the he? And he called his name Jesus. Who's the he? Jesus. No, Jesus didn't call his name Jesus. Oh, Joseph called his name Jesus. That's the he, right? Now, obviously, God named Jesus Jesus. Jesus means the Lord saves. It's taken from the Old Testament name Joshua, and it means salvation. The Lord is salvation. The Lord saves. But when it says that he, Joseph, named him Jesus, what is happening here is Joseph is adopting Jesus as his own. In the Jewish society, for the husband to name the child, even if it wasn't biologically theirs, they were adopting that child as legally their own. A commentator points out that Davidic sonship is a legal sonship which does not demand biological descent. All that is required is that his mother's husband, a Davidic, acknowledge Jesus as his own. This is what Joseph does. He knows his child isn't his. He's heard the word of the Lord, 
and he commits to God's calling upon his life, no matter how hard it's going to be, and he names Jesus saying that I'm going to take care of this child as my own. I claim him as my own, allowing Jesus to fulfill the Davidic covenant and being from the line of David that Matthew points out in the beginning. But there's some things we can learn about when God comes in our life. When God comes, life can get messy. We pray for God to do things all the time. For church and our family and with our kids, with our society, with our nation. We pray for God to come, to intervene, to, to reveal something. But we have to realize when we pray for God to come, we are praying and giving God full permission to stir our pot. We all like our pot. Because we got it just the way we want it. We think it looks all pretty. But when we say, God, I need you to come, I'm saying, God, I need you to come and mess this up. But just think about that for a second. When you pray for God to do something in your life, isn't it because the things that are going on at that particular moment in time aren't the way you know they should be? We want God to intervene because we know this isn't how things are supposed to be. For Mary and Joseph, it was all their dreams, all their hopes, all their plans were going to be completely changed. So we desire God to come and come in incredible ways. We must be aware when God comes, it has a potential to wreck our plans. When we want God to show up, it's because things aren't working. And so we pray for God to come and we're praying for God, change my situation. And when that happens, life can get messy and people most likely won't understand. It's been almost four years to the date that I heard from the pastor search committee of Harvest Hill. Almost four years. And I remember where we were. We were, we were at camp. Remember when you could go to camp? That was a good day. <laughs> we, were, we were at camp, at a youth camp. We were the chaperones. And I got an email and um, I immediately let Jamie know what was going on and, and asked her and we were going to pray about it and how we should respond. And as God continued to move us to Stratford <clears throat> and we continue to feel his calling for us to be here, we began inviting friends and family in that we trusted to pray over this situation. We wanted them to pray like we were praying, God, open or close doors. Let it be evident that you are coming and that you are moving and you are revealing something. And when we started asking people to pray for this situation, there were some people in our life, and I'm talking like close family and friends, people we love and still love. There were some people who did not understand, and there's still some people today who didn't understand why we were leaving where we were when things were going so well to go to somewhere where we didn't know what was going to happen. There were some people who were mad and got upset. We had our own family members asking us why and questioning whether we're actually following God. But Jamie and I kept praying. We kept seeking after God. We wanted God to come and to reveal himself. And the realization is when God comes and we pray for God to come, not everyone is going to understand. And sometimes we ourselves are going to struggle in the midst of it. But we've got this idea that when God comes in our life, it's all going to be rainbows and lollipops. It's going to be smooth sailing. And everyone's going to be singing kumbaya as we respond to God's coming. 
But that's not what happens in Scripture. When God comes, He makes things messy in our life because He has to get us from where we are to where He needs us to be. And let's admit it, we don't like change. And we don't like being reminded that we're not in control. But when I want God to come, I want Him to do just that. Change my circumstance and remind me that you are, in fact, in control. This is why for Joseph, he is considering, because when God comes, it requires godly wisdom. We don't know how long, verse 20 says, he considered. We don't know how long Joseph was considering what to do with Mary and what to do with their engagement. But the language implies that Joseph, knowing the situation, knowing the circumstances, was not going to act irrational in this moment. No matter how mad he was, no matter how disappointed he was in Mary, no matter how much he did not understand, he was not going to act out of feelings. He was not going to be irrational. He sought out all of God's options, and where were God's options given to him from? The Word. Joseph's considering these things is he's considering what to do through the law of God, through God's word. He wasn't seeking his own idea. He was seeking, what does God say about this? And because Joseph was considering God's word, it enabled Joseph to be ready to hear when God spoke. Can you imagine, though, telling your family and friends, well, God told me in a dream last night I should do this. What do our family and friends think? Eh, what did you eat last night? <laughs> God told you in a dream? You see, Joseph was so familiar with God's word and how God intervened in people's life in the Old Testament. Joseph knew that God spoke through dreams and visions throughout the Old Testament. So Joseph knew if God spoke to him through a dream today... That is something he could trust. I imagine in this considering, Joseph knew, God, or knew Mary's character. He knew that something was not adding up, but he couldn't see it until God came and intervened and revealed it. But he had to be in God's word to be ready for it. And so the word of God gave Joseph godly wisdom so he could be ready and willing to be a part of God coming. When we desire God in our life, we must be in God's Word so we can know that the action, the feeling, the intuition which we're led to be making matches to what God has spoken. Otherwise, we'll be like all those other people who says, well, God says this, or God told me that, or God said I should do this. We need to understand that if God is telling us to do anything that contradicts His Word, it's not God. God will never tell us to do anything that contradicts what his word has already said. Joseph's reassurance what the angel spoke, no matter how hard it was to conceive or even receive, it matched with what, with what God had already spoken in the past through the prophets. That's how Joseph was sure that this was something God was calling him. See, if we do not match what God is telling us to do to his word, what we're doing is we aren't being a part of God's story. We're making up our own story, and we're hoping that God plays along. But we can't do that. God is inviting us to be a part of what he is doing, just as he invited Joseph and Mary to be a part of what he is doing. And when Joseph heard what God spoke, he says he did, verse 24, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. 
The language implies that Joseph didn't hesitate a second. As soon as he woke up, he went and found Mary. Joseph didn't say, God, let me pray about it. Joseph didn't say, well, let me ask around and get some more information about it. He acted immediately. And so when God comes, it requires faithful obedience. When God speaks and leads us through his word, it isn't so we can rationalize it with God. It isn't so we can barter with God and try to get a better deal. When God speaks and comes, it calls for action on our part. This is faith. This is what faith does. Faith leads to action. It's meant to produce action in our lives. James says, so also by faith, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Jesus referred to the works of faith as the fruit we produce. Joseph's faithful obedience led to his compassion to Mary in living in a society that was not going to be compassionate to either of them. I have no doubt he was angry. I have no doubt Joseph at some point wanted justice. He had to consider these things. But God revealed it was not Joseph's namesake that was on the line. It was not Mary's namesake that was on the line. It was his name that was on the line here. It was his glory. And God coming in our life is always for his sake. It is always for his glory. And Joseph, in being faithful, being revealed that his commitment to God was above his own honor. One commenter points out that Joseph trusted God to obey him, yet such obedience was costly because Joseph married Mary. Outsiders would assume that he had gotten Mary pregnant before the wedding. And Joseph would remain an object of shame in a society dominated by the value of honor. And by waiting to have intercourse, Mary and Joseph also chose to embrace the shame in order to preserve the sanctity of God's call. See, faithful obedience and God coming in our lives doesn't always mean things are going to go our way. It doesn't mean everything's going to go smoothly. It doesn't mean that people are going to understand it or even accept it. It doesn't mean that we are going to be materially blessed or profited or benefited. But it does mean, when we are faithfully obedient for God coming in our life, it does mean we will be exactly where God wants us to be and we will be blessed by God. In the end, for Mary and Joseph, life continued as planned. You know, they got married to have children and scripture reveals they did just that. They had other children. We know of several. One in particular is James, who wrote the book of James. He was a half-brother of Jesus. And so though it may be scary when we pray for God to come, and then God comes, when God comes, it will always work out. And it will always work out for the better, and better than what we planned for, or hoped for, or even prayed for. Joseph, get this, Joseph got to be the earthly father figure to the son of God. God commissioned and entrusted Joseph to teach his son. Joseph's name is written in eternity as the one God chose to be the father in his son's life. And because Joseph was a just man, we can know that Joseph raised Jesus and taught him the things of God, which is kind of funny because Jesus already knew the things of God, but Joseph did it anyway. 
final thing we see in this passage is when God comes and requires sacrifice. Joseph and Mary had to sacrifice their reputation. They had to sacrifice their original plans. They had to sacrifice their family's view of themselves, their peers' view of themselves. They had to sacrifice time in their own marriage. When we pray for God to come and reveal himself, it is going to require sacrifice. When I graduated high school, my dreams and plans were to go play college football. That's all I wanted to do. And, and, and it happened. I got a scholarship to play college football. But it didn't take long for me to get in that situation to realize this isn't where I was supposed to be, even though I still wasn't really in the right place I was supposed to be with God. I knew that wasn't where I was supposed to be. So a couple years passed, and I ended up transferring to Southwest Baptist University with my plans, I'm going to be an education major. I'm going to teach middle school kids English because we know they need to learn how to speak English, right? And so that was, that was my plan. I was going to go to SBU, be an education major, and, and I'm going to go teach English, and maybe I'll get to coach football. Well, within my first year, that desire to play football in college was still there. And so I said, I'm going to walk on to SBU because I've seen their talent and they don't win. So I can't, you know, I at least got a shot. <laughs> so I walked on and, and, and it didn't take long for God to redirect what he was calling me to and what God was trying to do in my life and him coming I got a horrible injury. Um, if, if you don't like injury news, then you won't like this. But I was, basically, we were doing our workouts, and I, I was running, and my hamstring popped so loud, the coach said, what was that? And I was done. <laughs> I was on the floor, and as tough as I was, that hurt. <laughs> Jacob, you ever cried from football? Yeah, sure. Yeah, all right. Man, men can admit that, right? Um, but when that happened, it opened up my spring break that I could go on a mission trip that I was also wanting to do, but football was going to keep me from that. And so I ended up getting to go on a mission trip. Um, and then at that mission trip is when I got called into the ministry. And God came in my life and called. And I, I, people asked me my entire life, so you're going to be a pastor like your dad? And I would say, no. Um, and so I wrestled with that. It was not easy. It was messy. It was going to change my plans. It was going to make me be in school for a little bit longer. I was on the five-and-a-half-year program and because I changed my major my junior year. Um, I was getting ready to go student teach. Um, but God came, and so things changed. And even though I had plans and I had dreams, when God came, it changed things. And I realized that God didn't call me to SBU to be an education major. He called me to SBU to go into the ministry and be ready for the ministry, but he also called me to SBU to meet my wife. And I don't know, I'm sure he could work it out, but because I was on the five and a half year program, we got to spend extra time together. And <laughs> but we need to understand when I'm praying, God, do something. Come, reveal yourself. Speak. I am allowing God to wreck whatever's going on in my life. But I have to understand that even if he wrecks it completely, it is ultimately for my good. 
He's going to get me back on the right path. He's going to get me to where I, I need to be. He's going to redirect my attention to what it needs to be on. But it's going to be messy. It's going to require sacrifice. God may be coming in your life and calling to your heart and telling you to do something that you're afraid of doing. Whatever God is calling us to do or calling us to stop doing, it is always going to be for our good and it is always going to be the better plan. Always. But to get on God's plan requires us to make sacrifices of our own and sometimes just to let go completely of our own plans. Here am I, Lord, send me. I'm open, I'm ready, I'm willing. That's what Joseph does. And God wasn't calling Joseph and Mary or us to do something that he isn't willing to do. Jesus came, verse 21, to save his people from their sins. This is Jesus' mission. This is why he was born, to save people from their sins. In order for this to happen, Jesus had to be the ultimate atoning sacrifice by paying the ultimate price with his life. The phrase in verse 21 speaks how Jesus had to be the sacrifice so that we might be saved. You might be here, and the sacrifice you need to make is stop being the Lord over your life and submit to the one true Lord over your life. You may be here this morning, and you just realize, you know what, I don't know Jesus and the salvation he brings for my sin. I don't know him as my Lord and Savior. And so God is coming in your life right now. He's calling out to your heart to accept this incredible gift. The Bible says that all of us sin. All of us fall short of God's glory. All of us miss his holy perfection. And that the wages or the cost of that sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life found only in Jesus Christ. The gift is that God loves you. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, Jesus. And that whoever believes in him would not perish, would not die, would not be separated from God, but be given eternal life. This is only through Jesus. You can't be a good person. You can't go to church enough. You can't sacrifice enough. You can't give away enough. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one, no one comes to the Father except through me. So you may be here this morning, and God is calling out to you. He's coming in your life right now. He's speaking to your heart to respond to his love for you. And the Bible says, when I believe that this word to be true, that Jesus is the Son of God, he died for my sins, he rose again, that I could be forgiven and be given eternal life, when I believe that in my heart, if I would just confess it with my mouth, I will be saved. I will be a part of Jesus' mission to save people from their sins. Come this time of invitation, if you're here this morning and you've yet to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to be standing right here. I'm going to ask you to come down and say, Pastor Mike, I want to be saved. But maybe you're here today and you've been calling out to God and God's been trying to get your attention by changing some things and you've been unreluctant to let go. You need to come kneel before the Father and sacrifice that to Him to submit completely to His goodness and His faithfulness and His love for you. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. I want to lead us in prayer. And as they sing this song, if you need to come, I'm going to invite you to come. So, Father, thank you for this day and for loving us, for taking care of us. Lord, thank you that you do want to come and invade our life and our hearts. Thank you that you do want to reveal new things about you.
But Lord, forgive us when we get in your way for the work that you want to do. Lord, let us as a people be expectant for you to intercede. As a church, to anticipate for you to come. Father, wreck our plans. Father, we want to be on your plan. We want to bring you glory. I thank for this day. I thank for your word. I pray for those here this morning who do not know you as your Lord and Savior. Father, your spirit will grab a hold of their heart with such conviction that they can't stay where they are and they will walk down this aisle. For my brothers and sisters in Christ who have already accepted you, Lord, help us to be a willing vessel as Joseph was. Help us to do whatever you call us to do, even if it ruins our plans and our dreams, just to be where you need us to be. Forgive me if I failed you or have gotten in your way. If I've said anything that has not been your word, Father, just take it from our minds and our memory. But only your word be that that penetrates our hearts. I thank you for this day and pray it's all in the name of Jesus. Amen. I invite you to stand. I invite you to come.